Welcome to the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. I'm Matthew Baxley, and you're listening to The Short Track. This is a little morsel of Boundary Waters excitement to keep you going until the next full episode. And today we're going to hear from adventure enthusiast Fred Sprout. Welcome to the podcast, Fred. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. It's good to be here. So I'm remembering that we ran into each other when we were recording one of uh, our recent podcasts out on Duncan Lake. You were out there for a ski, am I correct? Yeah, it was kind of fun to get over to the old uh, the old stomping grounds. Um, that's, it was Duncan Lake where I first went on a Boundary Waters trip back when I was a little uh, tender age of five, and the parents dragged me in for a taste of it, and... Uh, yeah, you know, it's one of those things that I kind of forget about the, the the ins and outs of the trip. But, you know, once you kind of see some photos and hear some stories of that first one, it starts to kind of come back together. So, yeah, that's where I got my taste for the Boundary Waters was, you know, dunking to, to Rose and kind of tromping along the Baby Grand Portage and all that. And then um, worked at Camp Minogen for a whole bunch of years. So it was kind of fun to circle back and... and uh, yeah, hold down the fort over there and introduce kids to, to kind of the same neck of the woods and to the boundary waters. Um, and then one thing led to another, and I got the opportunity to start managing an outfitter over here, uh, Ely Outfitting Company, and kind of get a taste for the, the western half of the boundary waters, which growing up had never really you know been to, so it's kind of fun to know that there's all these other lakes on this half of the of the wilderness and, and start connecting dots and exploring new rivers and checking out new lakes and yeah just kind of developing a broader sense of uh, this overall place here yeah that's pretty exciting it's a really vast wilderness and with the access points so spread out between grand marais and ely and all along the north shore it's really hard to get the full range of experience and it sounds like you're really filling that out yeah, you know, it's one of those things where the more the more trips I go on and the more lines I start drawing on maps and the more I think I'm learning all the nooks and crannies, the more I realize it's like there is just an endless amount of exploration to do up here and an endless number of trip potential and, yeah, things to learn. So it's, yeah, it's truly a lifetime's worth of uh, exploration is available up here. Well, and before we get into your most recent epic, it sounds like uh, from a lifestyle perspective, you've committed yourself to being uh, a part of this wilderness space, um, at least for the time. How old are you, Fred? Uh, 30. So 30 years old, and you already have a pretty vast knowledge base of the Boundary Waters. Is it your parents that introduced you to this place? Yeah, yeah, I definitely owe it all to them. You know, I think they came from different kind of backgrounds in terms of how they you know, spend time outside. Uh, you know, my dad was a city kid who, you know, had a cabin and was a Boy Scout and all that. And my mom grew up on a little farm up in northwestern Minnesota. So they both, you know, spent a whole bunch of time outside as kids, but again, kind of came at it from different uh, different angles, different perspectives. And I think kind of drawing on their influences, yeah, just made spending time outside um, a pretty natural thing and, and something that they prioritized and chose to pass on to all of us kids you know, sitting in a canoe or hiking along a trail or pedaling a bike or being on skis, it's where I, I feel most like myself. And, 
Um, mm. I think I'm kind of the best version of myself is <laughs> when I'm outside and trying not to get lost or uh, trying to, you know, catch a fish or something like that. Well, I think that I really relate to that, and I know the people listening likely really relate to that too. So to set up this most recent adventure you had, it's been a really long, drawn-out, I would say spring, but it's really been winter. Spring hasn't even fully begun here yet. And you decided you were going to, instead of moping around waiting for spring to come, you were going to take advantage of the uh, late-season conditions. So tell us about your planning and your and your adventure. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun. Um, you're, you're spot on in the sense that, yeah, winter has been... Yeah, kind of dragging on here, and you know, you, you go to the grocery store to check out, and you just kind of hear everybody like grumbling about how much snow is still in the woods and how thick the ice is, and you know, open water is never going to come. And I uh, just started realizing that it's like, well, the the roads are dry, you know, like you can ride your bike for as, as far as you want, and you know, kind of the freeze thaw cycle has really packed down all the lakes and all the snowmobile trails and. And their season's pretty much over, you know, after April 1, a lot of those shut down. So it's kind of realizing that it might not be kind of what we typically think of as spring, um, but that doesn't mean there aren't opportunities to get out and enjoy the, you know, the long days and the relatively balmy temperatures. And yeah, it's kind of like, you know, when life gives you lemon to make lemonade or, you know, when life gives you ice, it's like, go ice skating. If you got perfect ski conditions, freaking go skiing. And that's what you did. Yeah, yeah, so it was pretty sweet. I was able to, uh, through a friend of a friend, get my bike shuttled from Ely over to Grand Marais, and then you and Lindsay were kind enough to drive it the rest of the way up to Trails End there. So I had a bike waiting for me on the Gunflint side, um, and my good buddies, Matt Aaron, Schmidt, and Ultimus, uh, down on Pine Mountain Road. It's got a sweet little off-the-grid homestead kennel set up, so I had a place to stay for a night, and... uh, yeah, so woke up bright and early Saturday morning in Ely. So at 6.30, I was closing my door at the Moose Lake landing and walking down to the ice and putting skis on and facing a pretty uh, pretty strong headwind that day. So, <laughs> so uh, just to recap here quick, yeah, Fred, yeah, yeah. you're launching from Ely, yeah. planning to skate ski? Exactly. From yeah, so Ely again. to Saginaw Lake? Yep. What's the mileage on that? Do you know, roughly? You know, I think it's right around 37 miles. Okay, so you're walking onto the ice with a 37-mile ski ahead of you, and I think that day, almost a 30-mile-an-hour headwind coming at you. Yeah, I kind of knew it was going to be a tough go when I woke up Friday night and just heard the wind, like, whipping around you know i was like oh man that wind is blowing pretty strong and it's the middle of the night what's this going to build to um and yeah you know i had a lot of doubt going into it all uh you know i had done some long bike rides and i'd gone for long skis um but kind of combining the two and uh and just spending that much time you know full day in the wilderness by myself um you know it was it was definitely a daunting uh thing to be embarking on um, but, you know, I think it was the, the kind of thing where, you know, I wanted to push myself. I wanted to try something new and, 
you know, I had kind of the necessary supplies to, to be safe and kind of had a plan for, you know, if I wasn't at a certain point by a certain time, I could still turn around and, you know, get back to Ely. Or if once I got past a certain point, you know, it was going to be a shorter ski to the end. And so thinking about kind of that safety net or what safety nets were in place and, uh, and just the um, desire to, yeah, challenge myself um, were pretty good, pretty good motivators there. I kind of looked at the distance, and I was thinking about 37 miles. It's like, that's pretty far, and looked at how long the, the Berkey Biner, kind of the classic ski race in Wisconsin is, and that's like a 50-kilometer race, so comparable distance. And then I looked at, like, the slowest times for that, and I was like, okay, well, people are doing a comparable distance in, like, eight or so hours. So worst case, I go, like, pretty slow. <laughs> And I should still make it over there before dark, and uh, yeah, not get stuck out in the in the boonies overnight. Anyways, was the plan, and it yeah, it worked. I made it. <laughs> so what was it? What was it like out there, Fred? All alone in the wilderness? It was beautiful. You know, Moose Lake is a motorized lake that you know, like twenty or something groups a day can launch there in the summer, and it's kind of a highway, people getting up to the border route or up to the Quetico or over to Ensign. Um, so to be there in the winter and not have another soul out there, you know, it just changes the experience completely. So it's really neat to, you know, just kind of experience a place that is so different from summer to winter. And then, yeah, you know, it's a very different way of traveling. And part of that route, you know, I had canoed in over in the past years, you know, a couple of times. Um, so to be going through the same landscape, but seeing it, you know, frozen, and going relatively quickly versus, you know, sitting in a canoe with open water. Um, it's kind of fun to have that contrast of a space and see it in two different seasons and, and kind of have two different feels. Um, so that was really neat. And then, yeah, you know, just taking a different set of portages, right? So there's, you know, a number of winter portages that differ from the summer portages and kind of avoid um, more current or there's more flow, you know, dipping around those. Um, so yeah, you dig. it's a very different experience, and uh, I think just kind of makes you appreciate a place that much more when you see it in different light. I imagine, Fred. So you're crust skiing along these lakes and taking your alternate portage routes, being mindful of ice conditions. Um, do you get into a rhythm out there when you know the the rhythm of the ski? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and it's it's similar to, you know, when you're paddling and you just kind of get into that rhythm that of, you know, of paddling and feathering and paddling and feathering. You know, it's a similar thing um, where yeah, you kind of, you know, know where you're going, you know, getting to the end of a portage and picking your point on the far shore and just kind of that repetition. You know, I, I like to think about uh, skiing and biking as a way to just sort of think about everything and think about nothing and kind of get to choose which those two you uh, uh, pursue out there. And yeah, it's pretty peaceful. It's pretty nice. So I don't know if we said this at the beginning, but the goal was to ski one way and then make this a circle tour. So to pick up your bike and ride that on um, the road systems all the way back to Ely. So what was it like skiing up to, uh, I think you were on Gull Lake, and you ski up to see your bike waiting for you, and and you're not even halfway done. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, it was pretty, 
uh, it really makes you appreciate a place where you can, you know, have someone drop your bike off, you know, in the morning and get there four or five hours later and have it still be there. You know, there's a lot of places where uh, that bike would be gone in the first 10 minutes. So it makes you appreciate small town communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And it was, you know, it's kind of like a funny sense of celebration, like, oh, all right, we did it. We skied across. <laughs> it's like, okay, we got another 40 mile ride in front of us tonight here. Here we go. <laughs> right. Right. And and the so, weather that day was pretty gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, so about a week later, my wrists are still pretty worked from just, uh, you know, that skiing into that wind, uh, pulling, um, really did a number on my, uh, on my wrists and forearms and they're, yeah, they're in pretty bad shape. I think the wind was strong enough that it was kind of blowing them all over and I was having to pull pretty hard. So if there's any physical therapists out there that want to do a little, uh, <laughs> pro bono consultation, I'll gladly, uh, <laughs> take you up on that. But yeah, but yeah, you know, it's fun too, because, you know, I think I've done way more kind of long distance, uh, suffer fest bike rides than I have ski tours. So it's sort of like, all right, I know that I can just put my head down and, and pedal for a while. And, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a complete purist. I definitely brought some music with, and I got to the, got to the end of the ski and I was like, all right, <laughs> it's time for some music here. I need a little, uh, I need a little pickup. <laughs> right. So you've got so. a soundtrack to motivate you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you hop on um, your bike and head down the Gunflint Trail so that you have a place to kind of hunker down for the night. Yeah, yeah, and it was awesome. You know, I think one of the nice things about riding your bike this time of year is the roads are, you know, pretty much empty. It's not like summer, right, where there's tons of people out. So it was, and again, the days are longer. So I was able to, you know, ride while it was still light out, uh, not a whole lot of traffic. And again, you know, just like how the, uh, the lakes are all frozen over and, and with that solid crust, you know, a lot of the, even the unplowed roads like Pine Mountain that aren't plowed necessarily, you know, was, was just bulletproof. Um, so yeah, I was able to pedal into Matt and Aaron's place and they've got a great little, uh, yurt for their handlers. Um, and I was able to stay in for the night and, you know, after a 13 hour day of talking to yourself, <laughs> it was kind of nice to have some, uh, some company and some other people to, you know, shoot the breeze with was, uh, yeah, was, was pretty nice. For sure. So you get some social interaction, you get some warmth and, uh, I imagine food in your belly. And then the next morning you're up at it again. And the conditions that day, it was cold. It started to snow and tell us what happened. Yeah. You know, so I think there's kind of a, you know, there's two different mentalities for, heading into a trip and one is you know bring all that you're going to need to be able to hunker down and you know kind of ride out any kind of storm and another mentality is bring as little as possible and try to move fast and you know just like take advantage of a weather window and I was kind of straddling that I think you know where I had you know had a sleeping bag and a and a pad and down jacket and you know stuff extra clothes um, but at the same time was trying to not carry too much and was really kind of the plan was to not have to spend a night out, um, but rather just like keep moving, keep moving. And if, you know, you break down or get hurt, have the supplies to be able to divvy out, but not plan on, you know, being out there. So going up to, into the weekend, I was pretty much watching the weather, like 
every day, multiple times a day, and it seemed like the system was either going to kind of uh, nail us or was going to skirt south. And uh, when I made the call to go, it seemed like it was still going to just barely skirt us. And I was like, cool, we can make this happen. Um, so, yeah, so I headed out. It was overcast, pretty chilly. And uh, by about 10 a.m., I started been, I'd been riding for like three and a half hours and was about to kind of get into like a real sort of uh, no man's land out near Isabella uh, with like 50 miles of nobody really around or so. And I knew that. I was like, well, if I make it to Isabella, I can, you know, call in a ride or something from there. Um, but, yeah, at about 10 a.m., the snow started coming down pretty good. And uh, I was pretty aware of the fact that I wasn't as maybe prepped for a day pedaling through a snowstorm as I needed to be. So I was able to get self-service quick and uh, put in a little SOS uh, mayday call. And, uh, again, you know, having an amazing community of people around me, uh, meant that I was able to bail down to 61 and uh, a couple of friends picked me up and dropped me off at Tedaguch and another friend from Ely came over and swooped me back to town, back over to Ely here. So it was, yeah, you know, I mean, at the time it felt, uh, pretty defeating to have this grand plan and, and, uh, think that you're going to head out on this like epic trip and um, do this big ambitious loop and then to bail on it and kind of return with the tail between your legs, you know, kind of sucks. But in hindsight, it's like, yeah, these opportunities are going to be there, you know, whether it's later this spring or next year or the year after that and uh, way better to go home with all your, all your digits and uh, (laughs) not end up, you know, wrecked in a ditch with a broken collarbone and, known around to uh help you out so and that's yeah that's an important right right. that's something that i think when you're getting into uh especially winter travel and solo travel and anything epic you know whether it's in the boundary waters or on the roads or in the mountains knowing when to make the call is i think a tricky thing because you got your ego involved you know you want to accomplish your goal and you also, like you said, don't want to end up in a ditch. But just for the record, I can only speak for myself, but it's pretty epic that you did what you did and didn't let the possibility of bad weather stop you from just going for it. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that's that's a big part of it is, you know, it's like you can wait for, you know, ideal conditions to line up. And it's like, man, if you wait for ideal conditions, you're going to spend a lot of time waiting and a lot of time, you know, not right. doing what you want to do and it's like yeah yeah it wasn't ideal but it was good enough and uh it would have been sweet if it wasn't windy but you know it's like well the crust was good and the lakes are pretty darn frozen and uh you gotta be willing to take what you can get and do the most with it exactly and i think that's a huge point of inspiration from your story and i also was thinking about what you said about the community of people and there's something about living on the edge of the wilderness that really does inspire a sense of community with the the folks around us that also love to recreate in this place. And what I love about this podcast is that it allows us to expand that community to everyone who can't live here. They can't be right on the edge, but they still are a part of this community because 
it's in their heart it's in their soul and i'm ex really excited to get to share your story with those people that are part of our bigger boundary waters community so thank you so much for coming on and sharing it yeah yeah i know it's fun to yeah hopefully try to get some people excited about thinking about uh things a little bit differently and maybe motivate some people to do a, a trip of their own and whether it's skiing or biking or anything else yeah getting outside and get the most of a day or a weekend or the lives we have so thanks for having me i really appreciate it fred you're always welcome on i imagine you're going to continue to do more epics and we're going to want to hear about them and if fred's story inspires you one of our listeners to get out and do something awesome in the Boundary Waters. We want to hear about it. We want to hear your stories. So don't forget to send us an email um, letting us know your thoughts on the stories you hear. But in the meantime, the ice is starting to melt. And Fred, I know you have plenty of wilderness plans this summer. So I hope to see you out there. Yeah, likewise. Sounds good. Thank you for joining us on the WTIP Boundary Waters podcast. Thank you, Fred, for coming on and sharing your story. And keep a lookout for episode five coming up just around the corner, highlighting our fishing opener and the start of our Boundary Waters paddling season. 